Good morning, good afternoon, que pasa, mi amigos, mi amo, Wendell Wallace, standing amongst the tallest, here to talk about a podcast named Wendell's World in Sports, a show talking about what is happening on the basketball of courts, the football of fields, to reveal my thoughts and opinions and other worldly dimensions about what is happening in the everyday of college basketball, my Georgetown Hoyas, and the NBA, to talk about who's doing poorly, who's doing well in college football and the NFL for Monsieur's. And my Mackwazels. Born and raised from the metropolitan area of Washington, D.C. and Montgomery County, M.D., this skillful sports talker MC will take you on a sports field expedition that will leave you with no other decision than to make listening to Wendell's World in Sports the Podcast your main mission. Treasure the pleasure together as I discuss the important sports topics that are a must and crush and destroy it like the New England Patriots or Pittsburgh Steelers pass rush. TJ, watch out for the next episode and make sure you download, subscribe with great pride so people will highly rate along with giving great reviews to create clues for people to follow so this podcast can remain the king like LeBron through yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the most unique, entertaining, and compelling sports talk podcast you'll ever listen to. Let's be great. Let's be great. Wendell's World in Sports with the one and only Wendell Wallace. Giannis charging down the lane to the rim. Double clutch. No good. Tipped in. Giannis tipped it home. Subscribe, rate, and review anywhere and everywhere you listen to this and all your favorite podcasts. And now, from Washington, D.C. metropolitan area, rip, ruin, and ready to rumble, Wendell Wallace. Good morning, good afternoon, Wendell's World in Sports. So glad that you could be with us, K-Pasa, me amigos, me amo, Wendell Wallace, Wendell's World in Sports. Bonjour, bonsoir, monsieur. Mademoiselle, je m'appelle Wendell Wallace, Wendell's World in Sports. So glad that you could be with us. Happy 2022. As I say, konnichiwa, shalom, wassalam alaikum, namaste. Wendell's World in Sports bringing in 2022 right Hope everybody is doing what they need to do to make this world, to make your place, to make your space, to make your block, to make your neighborhood, to make your community, to make your household a better place to be. How are we going to do that? How are we going to make 2022 the best year of your life, the most prosperous year of your life, the year where you grow the most as a human being? How are we going to do that? We're going to have these difficult conversations and try to get to learn and know and respect and acknowledge and really come together in unity and harmony of those of a different race, those of a different gender, those of a different political background, those who might come from a different side of the world, those who might come from a different side of the tracks, those who might be from a different financial background, those who might worship a different God if they worship a God at all, those who might love somebody that you might not feel comfortable with. We're going to have those difficult conversations. We're going to get to learn and know about those situations and those communities and those people. And we're going to go across and we're going to teach our children the right way in terms of making sure that when you judge somebody, you're going to do it based on who they are as a human being, the moral moral fiber, not by who they're in love with, not by who they're dating, not by how much money they have in the bank, not by what part of the world they're from, not by the color of their skin, not by their gender, not by their political affiliation, not by any of those things. We're going to go ahead and take the person in terms of who they are as a human being, not anything else. 
make sure that we go ahead and we pass that message along. So 2022 and 20 years from now, 2042, 2062, 2082, 2102, when the children in ninth and 10th grade are sitting in their U.S. history classrooms and their world history classrooms in high school that they can go ahead and when they learn about the ignorance when they learn about the stupidity when they learn about the racism when they learn about all of the things that we're going through right now in this society that they can look back and say man then folks in them days that generation was that stupid that generation was that ignorant that generation was that close-minded that generation was that uh, bamboozled by folks yes we were so it's up to us to make sure for the betterment of our children and the planet and everything else that we pass along words and knowledge and education of harmony, unity, togetherness, love, peace, and happiness to everybody who deserves it. Wendell's World of Sports, happy 2022. So glad that you could be with us. A lot of things to get down on and discuss today in the world of sports. Man, I've got some stuff that I want to talk about regarding the AFC. Let's talk about the NFL Week 17, the American. American football conference because when I get to the next segment and I talk about the NFC for the most part that's pretty much done heading into the final week of this NFL season which is now 18 weeks not 17 weeks hmm? interesting in the AFC there's still some stuff going on there's still some stuff that needs to be figured out and there's some teams that are playing some football that uh, we didn't think were going to be playing football at this level. But we took a look and thought back to our thoughts and opinions about those teams two, three, four, five, six weeks ago. When you speak about the top headline in the AFC for Week 17 coming out of Week 17, the Tennessee Titans. Mike Vrabel, there you go. Take a bow. You are the new leaders of the AFC. They beat Miami 34-3 to with... Kansas City losing to Cincinnati. There is a new number one going into the last week of the season, and they are your Tennessee ta- uh, Tennessee Titans from Nashville, Tennessee. Tennessee, when you take a look at it, man, especially when Derrick Henry went down, and now there's some reports and some scuttlebutt talking about Derrick Henry returning, and what does that mean for the Tennessee Titans moving forward? It's almost like a situation with Clay Thompson, in my opinion, or Kyrie Irving going back to the Brooklyn Nets or Clay Thompson going to the Golden State Warriors in terms of Derrick Henry coming back. Maybe not to the point because of the responsibility that he had before he got the injury. Clay Thompson, Kyrie Irving never had that type of responsibility for their team in terms of how they gauge their success, in terms of how to uh, see how the team is going to do, how well or badly the team is going to do based upon their impact and responsibilities that Kyrie and Clay had on their team, moving it now to the NFL and Derrick Henry. Man, Derrick Henry had one of the largest responsibilities of any player on any team in the NFL. And when he went down, the notion was, the thought process was that the Tennessee Titans season, while not being over, because at the time that Henry was put on the injured list and it was assumed in all probability that Derrick Henry was going to be lost for the season. Many people thought, well, man, what does this mean for the Titans moving forward? The fact that they had such a large lead in the AFC South and Indianapolis was in the Indianapolis that we've known coming up for the last couple of weeks in terms of being a real contender, even though the Colts lost to the Las Vegas Raiders this past Sunday at home. Many people were saying, yeah, Tennessee will still make the playoffs, but without Derrick Henry. They're, 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 you know, the, the, the main man on that team. I mean, how far can they go? 
So it's been an up and down season. And now we see with everything moving into the last part of the NFL season, the uh, final week of the season, when everything is all said and done, it could be the Tennessee Titans. When it was first the Kansas City football team, then it moved to uh, possibly the New England Patriots and the uh, Kansas City football team making their move with that long winning streak. But when everything is all said and done, the strong possibility is the the number one seed being the Tennessee Titans. Wendell's World in Sports, the podcast. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. It's been quite an up and down season, if you think about it, for Tennessee, right? Because they lost the season opener at home to Arizona, 38-13. Chandler Jones not, got not one, but two, but three, but four, but five sacks. Derrick Henry was held to 58 yards on only 17 carries. Tennessee came into the season as one of those teams that were supposed to be real challengers to the Kansas City football team, along with the Buffalo Bills, along with the most disappointing uh, team of the season, the Cleveland Browns, the Tennessee Titans were right in that mix to be strong contenders for upending the three-year reign or two-year reign of dominance by the Kansas City football team. So when they came in that first week of the season and Kyler Murray carved them up, and Chandler Jones made the offensive line for Tennessee look like chumps, and Derrick Henry was kept in check. Yeah, just like Green Bay losing to uh, Green Bay losing to New Orleans the first game of the season, and everybody saying we're not panicking, but what the hell is going on with this? That was the same deal coming out of the blocks for Tennessee in that first game of the season at home, mind you, in losing to the Arizona Cardinals. They were two and two. After losing to the New York Jets, to the New York Jets, to the New York flipping Jets, giving New York at that time their first win of the season, 27-24. That even a record at 2-2, two and two, and there was a situation where, damn, man, you know, coming up, what's going to be happening with this team? What's going on with the Tennessee Titans? You took a look at that division. You had Houston. You still have Houston and Jacksonville and Indianapolis and Tennessee. And I was up here on my podcast talking about, hey, man, we up here laughing and joking and clowning and joning on the NFC least for having such bad teams or having a situation where they might be the worst division in football. Hold on for a second. Have you seen the AFC South lately? If Tennessee is going to be continuing to lose to uh, to the New York Jets, no, I'm not going to give them the benefit of the doubt of them turning the season around and uh, making making you know chicken salad out of what has started to be a chicken shit type of season. But after losing to the New York Jets, man, after losing to them damn damn Jets, I don't know what pride just you know kind of raised its ugly head and said fuck this bullshit, let's go. But whatever happened, the Titans won six games in a row, and there was actually a four-game stretch in that six-game winning streak. Well, wait a minute, man. It showed that, you know what? This team is for real. This team's not beating up on the Jacksonville Jaguars twice. They're not beating up on the Houston Texans twice. They're not beating on the rags and the uh, dormant and the dysfunctional and the embarrassing of the NFL dretches. No, they're doing it, they're doing it against some real teams on that six-game winning streak had a four-game winning streak in which they beat in succession Buffalo, Kansas City. They beat Buffalo, uh, excuse me, they beat Kansas City 27-3. So that four-game winning streak included Buffalo, Kansas City, at Indianapolis, and then at the Los Angeles Rams, and with the game against the Los Angeles Rams in which Derrick Henry 
The game before that was ruled out, or after that game against Indianapolis, Derrick Henry, that's when the news came down that he was going to be missing the remainder of the season. And that was also the game in which they went on the road to play the Los Angeles Rams with the fact that the Rams, I think at that time, just acquired Von Miller. So even before Odell Beckham Jr. came, which really pushed the Los Angeles Rams hype train into overdrive. The fact that, oh my goodness, the Los Angeles Rams got themselves Vaughn Miller. Now he's going to be on the same side with uh, Aaron Darnold and Jalen Ramsey and that defense and goodness gracious sakes alive. Everybody was just talking about the Los Angeles Rams. Well, the Tennessee Titans who came in as underdogs because again, the question was how in the world are they going to be able to score with any type of team of consequence on the offensive end when they don't have their best running back there. Well, what happened was they went to Los Angeles and basically along the offensive line and the defensive line, they whooped up on the Los Angeles Rams. One of the defenders returned a Matthew Stafford interception for a pick six, and it was 27-13, and you were sitting there to yourself going, damn, wait a minute now. What's up with the Tennessee Titans? So in mid-November, after they beat New Orleans, after that game against the Los Angeles Rams, the... The uh, Tennessee Titans were sitting there at eight and two. Then all of a sudden, they were like, "Hey, man, you know what? <laughs> Doesn't really matter if Derrick Henry comes back. That defense is doing great. AJ Brown is still AJ Brown. Julio Jones might have been out, but he's going to be coming back. Mike Vrabel's got his team playing Mike Vrabel type football, which is physical, which is dominant, which is uh, strong along the offensive and defensive lines." Uh, Tennessee, watch out, Tennessee, this, that, and the other. And the lead that they had at that time in the AFC South, it was a situation where, hey, man, there's no argument that could be made on why Tennessee can't finish the regular season as the number one seed in the American Football Conference, even though, again, Derrick Henry wasn't around. Well, after that 8-2 and two start, after that six-game winning streak, um, some tough times lay ahead for the Tennessee Titans. They lost uh, three of their last four games. In fact, they were beaten pretty handily by the New England Patriots. They lost at home to the Houston Texans. So it was a situation where, wait a minute now, is this going to be a situation where, doggone it, all of a sudden now the loss of Derrick Henry is now showing his ugly head in terms of long-term what the effect, what the impact is going to be? Because how in the holy flip do you lose to the Houston Texans? That was the game that they lost 20, what, what was it, 24-22 at home? And it was a driving rainstorm and everything like that. But unfortunately, um, both teams played in that weather. So the Titans couldn't use that as an excuse. So after everything was all said and done with that little streak, after losing three of those four games, all of a sudden they go from 8-2 and two to 9-5. and five. So, all right, then they went ahead and they lost to Pittsburgh. All right, what in the hell's going on here? And then the only way they got back, they really didn't get back on track, shall we say, wasn't until a couple of games ago in the second half after being down 10 to nothing to the San Francisco 49ers. Came back and won that game at home 2017 against Frisco. And then uh, this past week they beat, or this past weekend they beat... um, they beat Miami. So here we go. Tennessee, five and three without Henry in the lineup. And you take a look. How viable, how prosperous can the Tennessee Titans be? One of the things, again, it's a situation where they don't have that franchise quarterback. They have a solid 
starting quarterback in Ryan Tannehill. Not an elite quarterback, not a perennial Pro Bowl quarterback, but is Ryan Tannehill the type of quarterback that can get a team to the championship, that can get a team to the Super Bowl and win it? Does Ryan Tannehill possess those type of intangibles, possess that type of talent, possess that type of uh, all-around package to ensure that the Tennessee Titans have the best chance, even without Derrick Henry or even with Derrick Derek Henry hampered by returning from an injury, how much, again, and I made the same argument, I made the same, you know, question to be thrown out to you guys concerning not just, not just uh, Ryan Tannehill, but also to Carson Wentz. As strong and as well as Indianapolis was playing until they lost to the Las Vegas Raiders, could you really, really trust Carson Wentz? And that's the same thing I have now with the uh, Tennessee Titans. How much can you really, really trust Ryan Tannehill? Wendell's World of Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. So we take a look at the standings now. We take a look at the AFC standings. And I mentioned before, the division leaders, the number one seed is the Tennessee Titans, 11-5. and five. The number two team is the Kansas City, used to be champions, who are now second. Winners of their, winners of their AFC West division title, but uh, right now, the number two seed after losing to Cincinnati 48-45 or some nonsense like that, they're sitting at the number two seed. Their record is 11-5. and five. Cincinnati, the number three seed, 10-6. and six. Buffalo, winners of the, well, not winners yet, but uh, leading currently leading the AFC East. They have a 10-6 record. And if the season ended today, they would be the number four seed, the last seed going into the playoffs of division winners. Then you take a look at the wild card. The number five seeded New England Patriots. They're tied. They're tied with. Um, they're tied with uh, Buffalo at ten and six. Indianapolis falling to nine and seven. And then we have the L.A. Chargers rebounding from. Did they lose to Houston? Yeah, they lost to Houston because they uh, they allowed Houston to run all over them. Good bounce back game to get themselves back into playoff position at nine and seven. So we take a look at what's going on, of course, for the fourth four uh, top four seeds in the AFC the Kansas City football team has won their division so they're in the playoffs the Indianapolis excuse me the Tennessee Titans have won their division number one seed they are in the playoffs and just waiting for their seed you have the number three seed being the <clears throat> what's it, number three seed being the Cincinnati Bengals the Bengals winners of the NFC, AFC North Division. Uh, they're good to go for the playoffs. And of course, you have the log jam somewhat down at the four and five position with the New England Patriots and uh, the New England Patriots and, um, wow, and the Buffalo Bills. So there you go, man. So New England, they've clinched the playoff berth, but they can win the division if Buffalo loses or ties and Kansas City loses, Tennessee means the loss means the Patriots clinch the AFC's number one seed, only first round by and home field advantage with it. So for New England, that's what they need to do. Indianapolis, as I mentioned before, plays Jacksonville on Sunday. They can clinch the uh, playoff berth. They can clinch, I believe it would be the number six seed with a win over the Jaguars, the Chargers losing, Pittsburgh and Baltimore losing. The 
Chargers losing with Pittsburgh losing and Miami winning. So, you know, go, go figure all this stuff out. The best way in terms of breaking it down for you is the Los Angeles Chargers and the Las Vegas Raiders. The winner of that game gets themselves into the get, get themselves into a playoff position. And what a turnaround it is. What an absolute, absolutely complete turnaround it is for the Las Vegas Raiders. Many times left for dead. All the controversy, all the nonsense, all the wrong decisions off the field with some of the personnel, with some of their players, mainly Henry Ruggs. Everything that they went through, interim coach, everything that they went through. Many times during the season thought to be counted out. Now the Raiders, with that victory over the Indianapolis Colts put themselves in a position on Sunday night. Basically, for them, it's a it's a it's a playoff game. It's a playoff game for those guys. So, kudos to the Las Vegas Raiders moving up and uh, and getting the job done. Uh, Tennessee. I wanted to uh, talk about Tennessee, which I did. But man, can we talk a little bit about Cincinnati clinching the AFC North, beating the uh, Kansas City football team? Joe Burrow going 30 for 39 for 446 yards to four touchdowns. This this cat, man, when you're speaking about Joe Burrow, Burrow has thrown for almost damn near 1,000 yards. 1,000 yards in two games and nine touchdowns. And, yeah, he was doing it against the uh, freshman team and equivalents to the uh, – what the Baltimore Ravens were putting out in terms of cornerbacks and secondaries and defensive uh, members on the field, but still throwing up, what, 520-something or how many yards over 500 that Joe Burrow threw, they were damn near impressive. And if you're going to play in the inferior squad, if you're going to be playing against a team with a major weakness, what do the good coaches and what do the good teams do? They pound on that thing. They pull on that scab. They hit on that thing over and over and over and over and over again. And that's exactly what the uh, that's exactly uh, what happened with Joe Burrow when he went up and was playing against the Ravens, and then coming in, we got we we we've kind of almost said to ourselves, "Hey, man, you know what? The Kansas City team on defense—they've got this thing together, man. They finally figured it out." You know, after all the embarrassing plays earlier in the season, Heyman comes in, changes roles, changes directions, and now. Look at uh, what's happening right now. Now, look, take a look at what's going down, right? Take a look at what's what's happening. So it's just it's just incredible what the Cincinnati Bengals have done, and Joe Burrow what he has done. Put some respect on that man's name. Jamar Chase nailed down. I would think have to think would be the AFC or NFL Rookie of the Year. Caught eleven passes for two hundred and sixty six yards and three touchdowns. Eleven passes. 266 yards and three touchdowns. And you've got to remember, this this young man didn't even play college football at LSU last year because of some allegations and because of COVID. So this guy only has two years of college football under his belt, took a year off, and basically is destroying the league similar to what Randy Moss did about 20-something years ago. Give it up for Jamar Chase, and then we have... Burrow the chase and chase the burrow and burrow the chase. The chase is going to be for not just for winning championships and winning Super Bowls and such, but man, the way that these guys have hooked up, the way these guys are in sync, the way these guys have this chemistry, the way these guys are in tune with with each other. When you're speaking about Joe Burrow and you're speaking about Jamar Chase, hey man, they could go down as one of the better 
tandems in NFL history. Especially when you're thinking about how relatively young both of those guys are. I mean, we saw what Peyton Manning did with Marvin Harrison. We saw what Joe Montana and Steve Young did with Jerry Rice. We saw later on in his career what Warren Moon and Brad Johnson and Randall Cunningham did with Chris Carter. All of those things are highly impressive from a quarterback tight end position. We saw what Philip Rivers did with uh, Antonio Gates. We saw what Tom Brady did with Rob Gronkowski. We saw what John Elway did with Rod Smith, who's not a tight end, but a wide receiver, and Shannon Sharp, Hall of Fame tight end. We've seen these great passing tandems. We've seen what Troy Aikman did with Michael Irvin. We've seen what it's like. We see how potent it is. We see how fantastic it is when you got this that a duo, a, a pass-catching tandem working so well. And for Chase and Burrow and their relationship in terms of being on the field and how devastating they can be, they're just starting this journey. And if they go, and if those guys can stay upright in terms of health is concerned, what beautiful ventures are those two are going to be taking, not just the fans, the sport fans of Cincinnati, Ohio, and going down to a couple of places in West Virginia, moving on up to the surrounding areas of the Cincinnati, Ohio area. But goodness, what does it mean for the NFL moving forward? What does it mean for its marketing plan? What does it mean in terms of, again, when we're speaking about quarterbacks in the next five to 10 years who are going to be considered the faces of the league, who are going to be considered that crossover superstar, and we're bringing up Justin Herbert, and we're bringing up Deshaun Watson, and we're bringing up Patrick Mahomes, and we're bringing up possibly Trevor Lawrence, we're possibly bringing up Mac Jones, and we're possibly praying, hopefully, if you're a New York Jets fan, to be bringing up Zach Wilson. We're naming all of these names, but man, first and foremost, as I said before, on my first podcast, you better say Joe Burrow. You better say Joe Burrow very quickly because, again, take a look at these young receivers, 26 and under. Take a look at them. Outside of Patrick Mahomes, who has the weaponry that Joe Burrow has? Tyreek and Travis Kelsey are great, but Travis Kelsey is much closer to the end of his career, even not even close in terms of the potential that... Jamar Chase has with the Cincinnati Bengals. So, man, watch out for uh watch out for that tandem. And every year we say this one thing we'll give the Cincinnati Bengals or one thing I'll give the Cincinnati Bengals. I don't know if you will, but I am. Every year when we go into a season, we know two things. A team that did really well the year before is going to falter, and a team who we think has no business doing anything in terms of having success is going to prosper. And this year this season, the Cleveland Browns are the leaders for the most disappointing team in the NFL with all the expectations that had placed upon them. On the other end of the spectrum, the most surprising team without doubt needs to be, should be, without question, should be the Cincinnati Bengals. We, we forgot how bad, how awesomely bad the Cincinnati Bengals were even with Joe Burrow. And there were some question marks about Joe Burrow. What type of uh, effect did that knee injury had week 10 against the Washington football team at uh, FedEx Field when he was being carted off? That was a serious, serious energy. This wasn't like a, this wasn't like a, a, a sprained pinky finger or something like this. This required some pretty major stuff to the point to where, yeah, there should have been some discussions about 
Is Joe Burrow going to come back and be the Joe Burrow that uh, we drafted out of uh, LSU? But being cerebral, being extremely smart, hey, man, you know what? They've, they've got them in the place right where they want to. Joe Burrow has them right in the place where they want to. Zach Taylor, not the president, but the coach of the Bengals, goes from being fired to quite possibility getting them getting himself a uh, contract extension. So good days out there in Cincinnati. How long is it going to last? How far, how much should we project in terms of the success in the postseason by the Bengals? Well, they're still a lot of thin on the offensive line and the defense while decent needs to be a little bit better. I don't know what the long-term success for this season, the playoff is going to be for the, for the Cincinnati Bengals. It might be a situation like last year when the, when the Cleveland Browns went on the road and they beat the Pittsburgh Steelers. And that was supposed to catapult them till next season and be that team again, that was going to shine. But man, that didn't happen that way did not happen that way so you know it's a good week in the AFC as I mentioned before we have the Raiders going up against the Chargers to see who's going to be playing in the playoffs get that final spot so they can meet the vaulted Tennessee Titans who again Derrick Henry isn't coming I'm not I don't know having him on the field is of course going to help the team just by the fact that, you know, now the play-action pass with uh, Tannehill is going to get much better because regarding the health and regarding how healthy that Derrick Henry can be, we're still going to have a situation where, man, you know, I don't know. I'm, I'm not looking to have Derrick Henry after that long layoff come right back and pick up where he left off, especially when you're talking about a foot. So there's going to be some more avenues. There's going to be some more opportunities for the Cincinnati Bengals wide receiver position, running back position, defensive line position, cornerback position, um, middle linebacker position, someone somewhere along this journey to championshipsville. If Cincinnati's going to stay there for the duration, it's going to have to tell them that, man, we need to go ahead. We need to get ourselves another score. We need to get ourselves a knockdown three-point shooter. I know those are hard to find, but man, that's exactly what they need. That's what the uh, folks need to be moving forward. So a, a good weekend in college football, good weekend in the NFL, good weekend in the AFC. The playoffs are starting to uh, formulate. The playoffs are starting to uh, go ahead and get down like they need to be getting down. It's going to be a good week 18. It's going to be an exciting week 18. It's going to be a weekend that I'm look, really looking forward to because now not only do you have games on Sunday, you have games now on Saturday. Welcome to the end of the NFL season. You're having games on now Saturday instead of Sunday all the time. So good weekend in the world of football. I'm going to sit back, relax, watch, be entertained, be amused, be bewildered, be all of those type of things which makes, walk, what makes watching sports so doggone great. Week 18 in the NFL, man. I'll say it one more time before I get down and boogie. It's going to be... Oh, sorry, that's the NBA. NFL football, it is going to be awesome.
Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Talking about what is happening, what is going down in the world of sports. The final weekend of the NFL season is coming up. 18 weeks, huh? How you adjusting to 18 weeks? How you dealing with 18 weeks? I know people, when we talk about football, when we talk about the NFL, we always want more, more, more. Give me more, more, more. Some people would like, man, I want to have football year-round. If they played, there's a lot of people out there in this country that would say, man, we could have the NFL play every single Sunday of the year. And even those who love college football saying, man, if we could just have college football every Saturday of the year, man, that would make my flipping year. That would make my flipping life right there. If we could do something like that, man, for me, I have it to where, look, I'm going to adjust. I have to adjust 17 weeks. Normally was my limit in terms of the regular season is concerned. Now you have an extra week for me to uh, go ahead or an extra weekend for me to go ahead and tune into the uh, red zone channel and watch football and watch the regular season, regardless of how relevant, how irrelevant it is because some teams have already clinched. I seriously doubt we'll see anybody worth of importance for the Cincinnati Bengals or the Kansas city football team or the green Bay Packers. We, won't be seeing Aaron Rodgers. We won't be seeing Joe Burrow. We won't see Jamar Chase. We won't see Devontae Adams. We won't see Patrick Mahomes. We won't see Travis Kelsey. We won't see any of these guys because these guys pretty much you know where they are in the rotation for the playoffs. So no need to uh, go ahead to risk. I, I wonder with Aaron Rodgers and Patrick Mahomes during, throughout the years, guys like Patrick Mahomes and Aaron Rodgers and the all-pro players and the really important players in the, uh, for, the, for their teams not playing the last week. You know, Peyton Manning has done that uh, when Tony Dungy and the Indianapolis Colts would wrap up the regular season and the Colts would be division champs and they would have their place situated in the NFL playoffs once they started. And because of that, you would see the starters not play or maybe some of the starters would play maybe a series or two and then take the rest of the game off. I, I, I'm wondering if Desmond Howard and Kurt Hertzstreet can maybe take a look at those guys and say, you know, the fact that those players are not playing in the last game of the season, they're not playing the entire game, but they're leaving their brothers and sisters behind to not finish off the regular season and get ready for the playoffs, kind of a selfish act because every game is important and as football players, all you want to do is compete, right? So you want to compete. So the fact that we see the starters for these teams not playing the last week of the season or the most important players playing for uh, playoffs and championships not playing the last game of the regular season. I wonder if just is a thing where, you know, you take a look at these guys and uh, maybe they just don't love football. I don't know. Maybe maybe maybe, maybe Kurt Herstreet and Desmond Howard can kind of give their thoughts and opinions about that. I'm joking. I'm kidding, of course. I'll get into the comments made by Kurt Herbstreet and Desmond Howard a little bit later in the last uh, segment of the program. I'm not going to get too much into basketball. The NBA, I'll get to the NFL in just a second, but here's my NBA uh, thoughts and opinions because, man, I, I really want to get into what's happening. But it's just with this protocol, especially with college basketball, here I am telling people how much I love my Georgetown Hoyas. And when was the last time I talked about them on a podcast? In fact, I'm thinking to myself, when was the last time I actually really 
thought about my Georgetown Hoyas, the last game they played right before Christmas, a couple of days before Christmas against TCU. And since then, four or five of their Big East uh, uh, games have been canceled because of COVID-related issues. Now, they're back on the track against uh, Marquette at home on Friday. I'm recording this on a Tuesday, but um, yeah, I'm, 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 I'm really not caught up to speed in terms of the NBA and college basketball because of COVID-related issues. I, I can't get into the NBA as much as I normally do just because you have so many players from the G League and the D League and the C League and the F League and the Z League and players coming back like Joe Johnson and Lance Stevenson and Mike Beasley, all these, all, all these guys coming back and Greg Monroe coming back who shouldn't be in the NBA anymore. It's just... I don't know. It's a situation where I'm not going to be sitting up here talking about what the NBA should do, what they can do about COVID-related issues and the players. It seems like every player in the NBA this season is going to miss some games because of COVID. That's just the way I feel. And just like the NFL, they're doing their thing with COVID in terms of players missing and the NHL took some time off because of COVID. Now they're going to come back. This is just going to be a situation where getting COVID and missing games, even if you're fully vaccinated, it's just going to be like spraining an ankle or pulling a hamstring or, or something like that. It's just going to be a, it's just going to be part of a, regu- a regular rotation of possible injuries. And I feel that um, every player in the league eventually is going to get COVID in the way that the NBA and sports in general. I mean, how can you not get COVID again? Even if you are vaccinated, going against someone who is vaccinated. How in the world, when you're playing basketball, how in the world... If you're playing football, just playing the game itself, how can you not get COVID? Players aren't out there running up and down the court, staying six feet apart from each other. Players aren't running up and down the court uh, with masks on. Players aren't running up and down the court with each time they make the transition from offense to defense or defense to offense that there's hand sanitizers coming out and those guys are washing their hands and such. When these guys now go to the bench, and yes, we see some players and coaches wearing masks but for the most part that six feet apart thing on the bench that's uh, no longer uh, required like you saw when the NBA first came back in that bubble and when college basketball resumed playing the uh, year of the COVID and you had players designated to seats on the bench and they were all six feet apart you're, you're not seeing that anymore you're seeing uh, it almost back to normal you're seeing you're seeing uh, uh, fans in the stands close to each other like this virus like this uh like covid never happened and some of them are wearing masks some of them aren't but it's just a situation where yeah we're in a situation where i think i think because of the society that we live in and such it's just a matter of look man if i get covid as long as i don't die or get really sick i'll deal with it because i'm sick and doggone tired of having to live my life the way i did the first time that covid hit and the world shut down and everything went into place. I'm tired of living like that. And what was the reason for getting vaccinated in the first place if I couldn't have a little bit of freedom in terms of some of the restrictions that were put on me because of this COVID virus? So, so now the fact that I've been vaccinated and such, I feel a little bit more freedom to uh, be a little bit more risky, shall we say, knowing that I'm fully vaccinated if I do get the COVID uh, virus that is not going to put me in ICU for 45 days or is not going to kill me or not going to have any long time lingering impactful negative results on me. So I don't know, man, that's sort of the way I feel. I try to still be cautious. I still try to be cognizant of the fact that, hey, man, I don't want to get sick. I can't get sick. 
I might be asymptomatic. I, who knows? I'm, I'm quite sure that I had, I've had COVID before. I'm quite sure that I did. But I haven't felt... Hold on for a second. Knocking on wood while I'm, talk, while I'm talking about this. I just haven't had any uh, symptoms. I haven't had any fever, loss of, uh, loss of uh, taste or smell or anything like that. But if you've asked me, if you're going to ask me if I've had COVID... While I've never been tested, I've probably had COVID before, you know, since, but uh, I'm just going to keep living my life and uh, not worry about it unless I'm having like really, a really hard time breathing. So Wendell's World in Sports, I'm your host. So once football kind of slows down and I can really start concentrating on the NBA like I really, 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 really want to do and really give it to you with the full force of what I like doing in terms of talking about the NBA on my podcast, then I will most uh, definitely be doing that both with the NBA and with college basketball, which I can say will probably be on my next podcast, right? Wendell's World of Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. But right now I am speaking about what is going on in the NFL. First uh, segment talked about the AFC and talked about the situation there talked about the roller coaster ride, which was the 2022-2021 season of the Tennessee Titans. Talked about the playoff matchups. Talked about the playoff implications on Sunday night. The Chargers from Los Angeles are going to be playing the Raiders from Las Vegas. Winner gets them to the playoffs. The Indianapolis Colts are in good shape. We already have division winners in the AFC North with the Cincinnati Bengals in the AFC West with the Kansas City football team. And in the, not the East, but the uh, South, the AFC South with the Tennessee Titans. So I'm moving over, moving over now to the NFC, some really good storylines. The main storyline stemming from the NFC for week 17 is Green Bay, the Green Bay Packers. Remaining the best team in the conference, best opportunity. If you really think about all the teams that are going to be competing in the next round, or shall we say the next season of the NFL, which is the NFL playoffs, did you take a look at all the teams from the Titans to the Chiefs to, that's Kansas City, from the Titans to Kansas City to the Buffalo Bills to the New England Patriots to the Cincinnati Bengals to the Indianapolis Colts to the Los Angeles Rams to the Tampa Tom Buccaneers to the Dallas Cowboys to the San Francisco 49ers to the Arizona Cardinals. You think of all of these teams, I think the team with the best opportunity and the best chance to make it to the Super Bowl are the Green Bay Packers. They won their fifth game in a row, sixth game in their last seven, beating Minnesota on Sunday Night Football, 37-10. to 10. Aaron Rodgers, again, solidifying, I would believe, his spot as the leader of the MVP, and I think he's done for the year. He's not going to be playing against uh, the Detroit Lions this upcoming weekend, Green Bay has already nailed down home field advantage throughout the conference playoffs. He threw for 300, excuse me, 288 yards, completing 29 of 38 passes. A.J. Dillon ran for two scores. He had 63 yards on 14 carries rushing. Mentioned before, Green Bay having home field advantage throughout the playoffs. The only team this season that went undefeated at home, they were 8-0. Lambeau Field, and they've won 13 straight regular season games. They've won 13 out of their past 14 games at Lambeau Field. Of course, the one loss was the NFC Championship game last year to the Green Bay Packers. But um, Green Bay, out of all the teams that I just mentioned in terms of having serious notions and expectations of doing some things 
once the playoff hits, I think the Green Bay Packers are the team with the uh, best chance to uh, live up to their expectations. Now, on Sunday night against the Vikings, 37-10, to 10, very impressive. Yes, but because of COVID, Minnesota had to start Sean Mannon at quarterback for Kurt Cousins. He was on the uh, COVID-19 list. I think Minnesota basically has checked out. They see the writing of the roll on the wall being eliminated from the playoffs and all but certain Mike Zimmer and the Vikings are going to divorce their working relationship with him being the head coach of that team. So I think Minnesota's just waiting to do the old one, two, three Cancun type of deal. But uh, think again, Green Bay road to the conference championship, less obstacles than any other team that's competing for that uh competing for that opportunity if you take a look at a team like say for instance the los angeles rams who are 12 and 4 yeah they they've won five games in a row but let's take a look at those four of those four of those five games they've come against jacksonville seattle minnesota and baltimore they have a combined record those teams have a combined record of 23 and 31 and moving into the playoffs the question has to be asked now whether it's fair or not I think it's more based on some of his past performances this year and not what he did with the Detroit Lions and the success rate that he had with the Detroit Lions and the many years he was the quarterback of the Lions and didn't get him into the playoffs and somehow that's supposed to carry over to what the Rams are doing and what the Rams are trying to accomplish. And because of that, the question has to be asked, is Matthew Stafford the right guy for the Rams to get them in the playoffs and really do some damage. But that's the question there. My 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 only reason for bringing this, this up is not because of what he did as the quarterback for the Lions in the year 2017 or 15 or 13 or whenever his tenure was or how long his tenure was with the Detroit Lions. My, my deal is that he's been... Over the last uh, couple of weeks or so, four or five or six games, he's been a little bit shaky. He's been a little bit inconsistent. And when you take a look at against the Baltimore Ravens on Sunday, he threw another pick six. This was the fourth time this season that he's thrown a pick six. But really, this is like the fourth time and I think six or seven games that he's thrown a pick six. I remember he had a streak this season where he threw three pick sixes in a row. In a, in, um, throughout uh, the, the, the contest. He broke that streak a little bit. Then it came back to bite him again against the Baltimore Ravens. I know there's reports out there that he's got injury issues, which he's not really letting on or not letting people know how serious it is or because of his play, we're starting to speculate how serious are these injuries. If Matthew Stafford says, yeah, you know, my back is a little sore, this, that, and the other, but no big deal. How much of that is, hey, look, my back is killing me and it's really, you know, it's really putting a wrench in how well I can play, but being a football player, I'm not going to sit up there and first give the other team the ammunition and knowledge to know that my back is giving me more problems than I'm letting on. And me, me being a football player, there's no excuses. If I go out and on the field and I go out there and play, I'm expected to do some things. I'm expected to live up to my responsibilities in terms of what I need to do to help this team win. So is he doing that in terms of, look, my wife and coaches and others will kind of be led on to the fact that I'm hurting more than I say I am to the press and to the public and such. But how much of that is contributing to some of the mistakes and some of the uneven, inconsistent play that Matthew Stafford has been going through over the last uh, five or six games of the season? Sort of the same questions that we have for Dak Prescott. 
That Prescott was playing like an MVP candidate until he had a calf injury, missed a game, and then since he's returned, with the exception of playing the Washington Quitterskins, he's been very inconsistent. And with Dallas, yeah, you have that defense that could do some things, but what about the offense? Last season, before Prescott got hurt, Dallas was one of the worst defensive teams over the past couple of years and their offense was the one that was putting up heavy points on the board now is a situation where we thought we had a really nice combination with the improvement of the Dallas defense thanks to the acquisition hiring of defensive coordinator Gus Bradley and the acquisition the drafting of Michael Parsons has really helped Stefan Diggs uh, playing in the, at the quarterback position that has helped elevate the Cowboys defense but now it's the offense who we thought was going to be the strength of that team with Prescott and Zeke Elliott and Tony Pollard and Amari Cooper and the offensive line and D.D. Lamb, C.D. Lamb and such, excuse me. We thought that was going to be the bell cow in terms of the Cowboys' chances of making it to the Super Bowl, winning the Super Bowl, living up to team expectations. But now it's a situation where, hey, look, man, the defense is good enough to win themselves a championship. But what about this offense? The inconsistencies, especially when we're playing against, especially when the Cowboys are playing against teams that are above 500. So those are those are questions. And all of these questions that keep coming up, again, leads me back to the fact that this has to be Green Bay's golden opportunity, greatest opportunity in a little while to get back to the Super Bowl to have Aaron Rodgers and I don't know if it's going to be a swan song I don't know if it's going to be the last dance type of deal but uh, giving Aaron Rodgers the opportunity to get to the Super Bowl and and do some things I, I don't see that the, the road is more clear and concise in terms of what the Packers need to do more than say a team like oh I don't know as I mentioned before the Los Angeles Rams who are still looking to incorporate their midseason acquisitions of Vaughn Miller and Odell Beckham Jr. who continues to gain confidence and knowledge and chemistry with Matthew Stafford the fact that he is now needed more than ever because of Robert Woods tearing his ACL and missing the rest of the season and you can't throw the Cooper Cup all the time even though uh, Matthew Stafford at some point seems like that's what he's determined to do. So he's going to need a secondary receiver, a number two receiver to take some of the pressure off of Cooper Cup. He, he and Odell are starting to find a little bit more rhythm and continuity in that. But still, that's still a work in progress. Just like Vaughn Miller, when he was acquired in a trade with the Denver Broncos um, about four or five games back by the Rams. I mean, that was the speculation starting to bubble and burst about some of the great things that could happen with Vaughn Miller, a, a, a great pass rusher along with Aaron Darnold and how, how, how Aaron Darnold has always helped pass rushers really make an impact when he's opposite of that pass rusher. So that is yet to take full fruition of what many people thought would be a dynamite duo as far as rushing the passer is concerned. So there's still some question marks with the Los Angeles Rams. And again, if they do make it to the NFC Championship in January, going up to Lambeau Field, going up to Green Bay, Wisconsin, how well are the Los Angeles Rams who play in, well, Los Angeles, which is far from uh, the weather-wise of Green Bay, Wisconsin, and playing in a conference where you're going to be playing in Arizona, where you're going to be playing Seattle, which can have some inclement weather, playing in San Francisco, which is hit and miss. The basic point is, is that even with 
guys like Matthew Stafford, who has spent the majority of his career in a cold weather community in franchise, in city and franchise with the Detroit Lions, but still a situation of a warm weather team in the Rams going up to Lambeau Field and playing Green Bay in the weather that Green Bay is more acclimated than used to. No, I don't think anybody, I don't give a damn who you are, you live there, and I don't think anybody is comfortable with really cold weather, just like me living in Las Vegas for over a decade, moving on close to two decades now. You never get close, you never get used to the weather. 118 or 115 or 113 in July and August is still 115 and 118. It still sucks. I don't give a damn if it's a dry heat. I don't give a damn if you've been out here for a certain amount of time. It's still hot as hell. It's still uncomfortable and you still don't want to uh, be in it for long periods of time. Same as those who've grown up in Chicago, Illinois. Just because you've grown up there and you've experienced the winters, it doesn't make you more adaptable or or you like it more or you you can go out in flip-flops and shorts because, hey, I've lived in Chicago, so I'm used to the weather. No, just like you never get used to 118 degrees, you never get used to negative uh, 15 degrees. (laughs) It just doesn't happen. You just learn to deal with it because you're in those elements. But I think because Green Bay is in those elements, it gives them a better... It gives them a, a, a better sense of what they need to do, working their game plan as such, and performing in that type of weather. So Green Bay, the Los Angeles Rams, if they meet in the NFC Championship, those are some of the things that you have to think about. Do you trust the Tampa Bay Buccaneers? I know you trust Tampa Tom, but when you speak about some of the injuries that have been bestowed upon the Green by the um, Tampa Bay Buccaneers, Moving forward, what's going to be the what's going to be the uh, health regarding Leonard Fournette? The Buccaneers signed Le'Veon Bell less than two weeks ago to uh, help set to uh, help uh, uh, diminish the impact of that injury by Fournette. But you have Ronald Jones and Keyshawn Vaughn. They couldn't finish the uh, Sunday's game against the Jets due to uh, different injuries. So what's going to be their situation moving forward? Chris Godwin is out for the season with a torn ACL. Chris, uh, excuse me, Grog Gronkowski has missed some games earlier in the season because of a rib injury. Now he seems to be back to doing, uh, back to being Gronk. But uh, still, this was a situation where he missed some time this season because he was injured. Mike Evans has been banged up a little bit. The totality of some of these injuries that are piling up amongst the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, both on the offensive and defensive side of the football, when did it come collapsing all down for them? And even a great offensive line and even the brilliance of Tom Brady is not enough to overcome some of the injuries that have been bestowed on the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Again, the Green Bay Packers have also had their share of injuries, but guess what? They've overcome them better than the Buccaneers, and again, they have home field advantage, and again, you're speaking about a warm weather team in Tampa Bay, even though they went to Washington in January and got the job done and went to Lambeau on a cold day for the NFC Championship and got the job done by winning that game. Still, is a situation where you have to take that into account at a team like the Green Bay Packers who, if they're going to be making it to the championship game, the conference championship game, or the Super Bowl, to get there, they're going to be playing more games in that weather than the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, how is that going to play moving forward on that? Dallas offensively inconsistent for the last six or seven games, spoke about that. 
Other contenders, how much do you believe in the Arizona Cardinals? How much do you believe in the San Francisco 49ers? How much do you believe in the Philadelphia Eagles? They all have their fatal flaws, I would think, in terms of going up against the the Packers, going up to Green Bay and having Jimmy Garoppolo try to uh, outduel and Aaron Rodgers, having Jalen Hurts go to Lambeau Field and having to outduel Aaron Rodgers. I, I just don't see that happening, especially the young team that is the Philadelphia Eagles, especially when you're dealing with the thumb injury that has been on Jimmy Garoppolo, you know, taking down some of his um, taking down some of his effectiveness moving towards the playoff. They're going to have to rely on a defense in the run game where a couple of years ago it might be kosher because that defense was good enough to make the game ugly, to have it be low scoring and have the 49ers control it with a running game. Now for twenty for the 2021 season, the running game for the San Francisco 49ers along with the defense, especially that defensive line, is not to the level as it was when the 49ers made their run to the Super Bowl, and it's not at a level, I don't think, if Green Bay is humming and running and chumming and gunning, the fact that they could keep up with that style on the road in Lambeau against the Green Bay Packers. So moving forward, man, the Green Bay, it's, it, it's going to be a very, I would say that the Green Bay Packers season, it's going to be very bitter if they lose. And we're not even speaking about the offseason that's coming up, what's Aaron Rodgers going to do. I don't, I don't even know in terms of one of the, what word am I looking for here? One of the motivational reasons for the Packers to win this championship is to try to convince Aaron Rodgers to stay with the notion, with the thought process of saying, how can Aaron Rodgers coming off a second consecutive MVP, if he does win his second consecutive MVP, how could a man who is still at the top of his game playing on the best team in the league, they just won a Super Bowl, he got Devontae Adams, a man who he said himself was not only a good friend, but one of his, one of the, the, the best teammate that he's ever, he's ever had. He has his best friend in the NFL, Randall Cobb, still on that team. He'll be back after suffering an oblique injury a couple of weeks ago. With everything that's situated, that's in place for Aaron Rodgers and what could be for Aaron Rodgers if he returns to the Green Bay Packers and really the Green Bay Packers going into next season should be better than they are currently this season because of some of the injuries that they are suffering from right now. Those guys next season will be back rip-roaring, ready to go. So this is going to be a situation. Look, with free agency, you never know what's going to be happening in terms of what Packers are going to be leaving and going, who's going to be resigning, who the Packers are going to bring in the free agents and such. So, yeah, the offseason moving forward for the 2022 season is always a beautiful mystery, if I could use an Aaron Rodgers phrase, but you would still have to say that the Packers moving into next season would be the odds-on favorite to win the Super Bowl if they go ahead and make it to the Super Bowl, even if they don't win the Super Bowl. Let's just say they lose to the Kansas City football team or they lose to the, I don't know, Cincinnati, I don't think is, uh, or they lose to Buffalo, I don't know, or lose to the Tennessee. I, I still think moving into next season, you would still have to say with a rational thought that the Green Bay Packers are still the best team in, one of the best teams in the NFL and the best team in the NFC. So if you're Aaron Rodgers, how, how can you leave that situation? What other team are you going to go to that's going to 
be better than the one that you have in Green Bay? Are you still holding that grudge? Are you still angry? Are you still setting your ways in terms of the feelings and the thoughts that you had last offseason when you were like, look, I'm never going to play here. How you guys did me wrong, I'm not going to play here. You guys drafted Jordan Love and you didn't even tell me. You couldn't even give me the respect or the courtesy to give me a call and let me know that this is happening. Nah, man, I'm out of here. You treat me like this, I am gone. And you can ask my family members and you can ask my brother. I keep grudges. I don't give them up very easily. So if you're Green Bay, you're thinking to myself, you're thinking to yourself, well, damn, if we win a Super Bowl, what is Aaron Rodgers going to do in terms of go somewhere else? We're going to give him a better chance. What, he's going to go to San Francisco? He's going to go to Philadelphia? He's going to go to Indianapolis? He's going to go to Pittsburgh? He's going to go to Cleveland? Um, where else can he go? Where else can he go to uh, fit into Tom Brady's going to retire and he's going to go to Tampa Bay? I mean, where where is he going to go? Realistic, he's going to go to New Orleans and hope and pray that Sean Payton doesn't leave and go somewhere else? Where's he going to go? He's going to go to Minnesota? I, I don't know. He's going to go. I don't know where. He's going to go to, uh, I don't know, Carolina? No, he wouldn't go there. But what I'm saying is, is that there's really no other place for him to go if Aaron Rodgers at the age of 37, 38, and he has four or five good year, good years left. If he has one or two MVP elite caliber seasons left in him for the 2022 and 2023 season, and then he's just a good quarterback for 2024, 2025, speculating, where else is he going to go? What team out? Is he going to go to Denver? What team out there? Is he going to go to Jacksonville? What? I mean, this is not going to go to Jacksonville or Trevor Lawrence. But what I'm saying is, is that the Green Bay Packers, one of the motivations might be for going into this playoff and winning the Super Bowl is, man, we have to convince Aaron Rodgers that, yeah, man, you need to put all that animosity and ill will that you had toward us in the uh, past offseason. You need to put that aside and say, man, you know what? I now realize how good I really have it. And building upon my legacy, you take a look as, for instance, if Aaron Rodgers wins the Super Bowl, let's just say Aaron Rodgers wins the Super Bowl. He ain't going to be catching the Bill Russell of uh, NFL football in terms of championships is concerned. Tom Brady, he's not going to be in a position to get five more if uh, he goes ahead, Aaron Rodgers goes ahead and wins this championship. But man, let, let's take a look. Terry Bradshaw had four. Tro Troy Aikman has three. Jim Plunkett has two. Oh, I'm trying to think who else out here. Patrick Mahomes has one. He's going to be working. He's got, I don't know, 10 or 11 years to uh, add on to his collection. And he has a very sh good shot of doing that. You take a look. You take, you listen, Bart Starr has two. Uh, Terry Bradshaw, as I mentioned before, has four. Uh, team in the 80s. Let me see. Joe Montana has four. Um, no, Joe Montana has three, right? Joe Montana has three and Steve Young has one. I don't know. But what I'm saying is, is that, you know, you, you, let's just say for instance, that Aaron Rodgers sticks around Green Bay for another two years. Okay. He's an elite quarterback. This team is rip roaring, ready to go and win Super Bowls for the foreseeable future, which is this season, the 2022 season. And then we'll just squeeze maybe another season for 2023 they draft themselves a running back who can uh really do some work and uh help take some of the pressure off aaron Rodgers. Devonte adams gets even better i don't know how much better he can get but he can get better the young receiving core alan lazard and the rest of those guys they they get better for next season the season after that and let's just say 
for instance, man, that the Packers win a championship this season with Aaron Rodgers and they win one more before he's done, which would give Aaron Rodgers three championships. Man, when you're taking a look at where he would look, where he would sit in the pantheon of NFL quarterbacks and great quarterbacks, that would put him, if he won three championships, three Super Bowl championships, that would move him past John Elway. He's already tied with one with Brett Favre. So without question, he would move him, it would move him past Bart Starr, who won two Super Bowl rings when the Packers won Super Bowls one and two. So we're talking about Rodgers, if he decides to go with his best opportunity in terms of winning football games and championships, if he decides to stay with the Green Bay Packers, you're looking at a situation where without question, he's going to be the greatest Packer, Green Bay Packer, who's uh, ever played, and we know how rich that uh, franchise has been. You're going to be taking a look at him, maybe. Would he be elevated even more than John Elway? If that happened, would that put him past Marino? Even though Marino doesn't have a Super Bowl ring, we know that he's the best, one of the best pure passers who's ever played the game, one of the best pure quarterbacks who's ever played the game. Now you're going to throw in the discussion when having that argument, who's better, Dan Marino or Aaron Rodgers? I mean, hell, what do we always do when we speak about LeBron and MJ for all the MJ clowns who think that Jordan walked on water, walked on water and could solve cancer, COVID, and bring peace to the Middle East? Don't they always say Jordan, NBA Finals, 6-0, and LeBron, 4-6, and 6, six better than 4, booyah! Well, wouldn't it say for the Aaron Rodgers lovers, when they're speaking about who's a better quarterback, him or Marino, three Super Bowls, zero. Booyah! So who knows, man? Who knows? I'm just thinking about in the pantheon of greatness, and I don't know. I don't know if Aaron Rodgers really gives a damn about that stuff. So, but if he does, I think the best situation for for him would be to uh, stay with the Green Bay Packers. But I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what Aaron Rodgers is all about. I don't know what his uh, personal life is all about. I don't know what his relationships are in terms of who he's dating and what his dating relationship. Does he want to get married? And the person that he wants to marry, if he's dating someone that would ultimately want to marry Aaron Rodgers, where she wants to stay. And I don't know what it's like for him if he wants to start having a family. I don't know. I have no idea. I don't want to know. Don't care. So, uh, you know, all these things, I think, play into the ultimate decision on whether Aaron Rodgers stays or Aaron Rodgers goes. What does he want to do? after his football career is over, how much more does he want to play football? All of these things will be taken into account, I'm guessing, by Rodgers when the season is over, whether the Green Bay Packers win the Super Bowl or not. But if you're just speaking purely from a football standpoint, yeah, I would think that Aaron Rodgers would want to say, hold up, wait a minute, let me go ahead and finish my career with the Green Bay Packers. Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Let me end the segment with the let me end, end the segment by speaking about the end of an NFL career by the name of Antonio Brown. The fucking clown known as Antonio Brown. Wendell, how could you say that? Wendell, how can you say that about another black man, Antonio Brown? You can't say that. Another black man speaking so ill like that? That's wrong, man. That is wrong. What happened for me to call Antonio Brown a fool? Well, many things. It just This was finally the final nail in terms of Antonio Brown's coffin happened 
late in the third quarter with the New York Jets leading 24-10 over Tampa Bay. I'm quite sure that you've read something. I'm quite, quite sure that you've heard something. I'm quite sure that you saw the highlights where Antonio abruptly took off his football gear, threw his shirt and gloves into the stands and jogged off the field before exiting. He did some jumping jacks in the end zone and waved to the New York crowd before running into the tunnel. Uh, let me see. Fox Sports' Jen Hale reported that teammates O.J. Howard and Mike Evans tried to calm down and upset Brown as he took off his jersey and shoulder pads. And while the game was still going on, he ran, speaking of Antonio, he ran to the end zone where he performed his jumping jacks and gave the crowd a peace sign, peace, before exiting to the tunnel. Now, the scuttlebutt was that Bruce Arians, what set Antonio off was Tampa Bay head coach Bruce Arians going over and saying, hey, get in the game, and um, Antonio Brown saying, I can't get into the game because my ankle hurts, and, and, and Bruce Arians said, well, then get the fuck out of here, or something to that nature, or something like that. So that's what set, that's what set Antonio Brown off. So many people are now, I shouldn't say many people, but now there's folks, especially from the black community, because we always have to uh, go save our recluse. We have to uh, go ahead and save our save our jackasses, save our embarrassments, save our disgraces to the race. Whether they're a boxer or whether they're a football player of some renown, we have to go ahead and make excuses for these idiots. But, you know, it's a situation where, hey, man, Antonio Brown, Antonio Brown, there's something must be wrong with Antonio Brown. CTE, it must be CTE. The violent nature of the sport that he played and some of the hits. Did you see that hit a few years ago that uh, Cincinnati Bengals' Vontez Burfitt gave him when he was crossing the middle and whacked him around and he spun around like a heli- like a, like a, like a helicopter uh, pilot or whatever like that? Oh my goodness, so there, there has to be something wrong. There's something mentally going wrong with Antonio Brown for him to act like that. Yeah, there is something wrong mentally with Antonio Brown. The man is a fool. The man is an immature fool. He's an immature fool. He is an adolescent in a grown man's body. Has nothing to do with CTE. Look, I'm not a doctor or anything like that, so I've diagnosed Antonio Brown, just like for those who are saying that he's he has CTE and because of football, this is the way he's acting. It just I, I have more just as much credibility as you do in terms of one way of my opinion and your way of your opinion. You say that it must be CTE or it must be something mental going on. It must be something deeper than football for him to act this way. No, I say it's just nothing more than a fool, an immature fool who never grew up. And when you give an adolescent, when you give a child anything and everything that he wants, and very rarely do you tell him no, this is the way he acts, right? As I mentioned before on my podcast that I did on YouTube, which you can go to uh, my YouTube channel and check it out. As I said before, this is the reason why we don't let adolescents vote. This is the reason why we don't let those who have the mentality or those of high, of uh, middle school and elementary school age, this is the reason why we don't let people of that age vote or drive a car or to pay the mortgage or be responsible for the safety and the well-being of their brothers and sisters. This is the reason why we don't make them do taxes. This is one of the reasons why we don't do those things because the brain at that age is not fully developed for them to make good decisions, for them to make conscientious, common sense decisions. 
been proven. So that's the reason why with the responsibilities of leading this country and leading this world and doing the things that we need to do for this world and for this country to move forward, that's the reason why we don't put the decisions in the hands of an 8-year-old or a 12-year-old or a 15-year-old or someone who's going through puberty because the decisions are not going to be fully based on true intelligence in terms of what an adult can bring to the situation. It's the same damn thing with Antonio Brown. Antonio Brown might be, what, 20, 33, 34 years old, somewhere around there. But this clown, by the way he has been conducting himself, not just in the latest episode against the New York Jets for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, but throughout his football playing career, going as far back as Central Michigan. So this has nothing to do, when we speak about Antonio Brown acting like a fool, this, this didn't happen yesterday. Okay, this didn't happen this one time against the New York Jets, and he started acting like this. This has been a long, long road toward what happened with Antonio Brown, and whether you're speaking about near the end with the Pittsburgh Steelers, whether you're speaking about the then Oakland Raiders, whether you're speaking about the New England Patriots, whether now you're speaking about the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, this type of bullshit, this type of immaturity, this type of stupidity, this type of lack of common sense, this type of tomfoolery and buffoonery has been happening long before what happened against Tampa Bay. So you can't sit there and blame Bruce Arians. You can't sit there and say, well, you know, Bruce Arians told him to get the fuck off the field, so you don't talk to Antonio Brown like that. You don't talk to another man like that. Let me tell, let me, let me ask you a question. Someone of responsibility. Let me ask you a question. Someone who has responsibilities in terms of taking care of others and taking care of yourself, both emotionally, mentally, and financially. You've been told something that you don't like before, right? Whether it be your wife, whether it be your husband, whether it be your kids, whether it be your friend, whether it be your sister, whether it be your brother, whether it be your cousin, whether it be your boss, somewhere along the line, someone has said something to you that you did not agree with. And, and in some instances, someone has said something to you that you felt kind of offended by, that you felt that you were being disrespected, correct? Now, as a grown man, when those things happen, did you handle it in a mature, responsible way? Or did you act like Antonio Brown? Let me ask you that question. So you can sit there and say, Bruce Arians should not have talked to him like that. But in retrospect, but also, Antonio Brown should not have acted like an immature brat. Because that's exactly being a person who has been around second graders, third graders, fourth graders, middle schoolers, the, the, the idiots... Like that, that's how you react. When a child doesn't get his way, that's how a child reacts. So are you saying that a child needs to go through counseling? Does a child need to go through therapy? There must be something wrong, wrong with the child when he acts in a, in a, in a, by, by, throwing him, by throwing a tantrum? No, you don't say that because you say, well, that's a child. And when you tell a five-year-old, no, they can't do something and they really want to do it, uh, a lot of times that's the way a child will act, not, you know, taking off his clothes and throwing him around and doing jumping jacks and running around the room, but, you know, throwing a tantrum and crying and acting like a fool, that's what a five-year-old, an eight-year-old, a 12-year-old will do. Well, once you get 12, I mean, geez. So, so, so that's what happens. So with Antonio Brown, there's nothing wrong with him in terms of he needs help and this, that, and the other. No, Antonio Brown is a fool. And when you 
and, and, and when you give in to a fool and when you are a yes man to a fool, so when you go ahead and you accommodate a fool, this is exactly what happens. What was the last time anybody told Antonio Brown no? What was the last time Antonio Brown had a true figure in his life to where he had to take directions and not give any lip or not give any attitude or when someone was trying to speak to him that he didn't want to hear it, that he actually had to listen anyway and he had to go ahead with the thoughts and opinions and advice that that person was giving. When was the last time someone told Antonio Brown no, which Antonio Brown really wanted to do something, and Antonio Brown had to listen to that person who said, no, you cannot do this. Antonio Brown is a 30, let's just say Antonio Brown is a 34-year-old man. I'm quite sure it's been probably 10 or 12 years since Antonio Brown listened to anybody in terms of telling him what to do. If Antonio Brown for the last decade or plus if Antonio Brown wanted to do something, Antonio Brown was going to do something. He had the money, he had the prestige, he had the publicity, he had everything going his way for someone like me, someone like you, someone in his inner circle who doesn't have the financial stature, who doesn't have the football playing ability, who doesn't have the spotlight being shown on him. They don't have the gravitas. They don't have what it takes to say, Antonio, no, don't do this. And Antonio Brown will listen and not do that. So you're enabling a immature adolescent jackass. So when you, when you enable an immature adolescent jackass, this is what happens. And when you condone this immature jackac- this, this immature jackaccuracy, is that a word? I don't even give a fuck. But when you condone this shit and you really don't punish the person for acting like a clown, for acting like a fool, for being insubordinate, for being immature, for being unprofessional, for being disruptive, for not acting like an adult, when you don't condone or put harsh consequences on his actions and you reward, almost reward his actions by saying, come on in, we'll give you another chance. What do you expect? Again, when you have the mentality that Antonio Brown has, which is that of a child, what do you expect? Of course, Antonio Brown's going to play the victim card because no one has ever told him, Antonio, you're acting like a fool, or no one over the last decade that he respects has told him that, Antonio, you're acting like a fool and you're acting like a clown, and it's stuck. Every situation that Antonio Brown has got himself into, if you ask Antonio Brown, is not his fault, or is not entirely his fault, or at least not the main reason why this thing went down. From what happened in Pittsburgh, from his shouting match with Oakland, with Mike Mayock, and that bullshit that happened there, what happened with the Patriots, with Robert Kraft and Bill Belichick, what happened in Tampa Bay. If you ask Antonio Brown all his discretions, if you ask Antonio Brown about all the missteps that he's had, the alleged sexual assaults that he's committed, the fact that he hasn't paid anybody back who's done work for him, all of these situations in his life where he's been at fault, if you ask Antonio Brown, somehow, some way, <clears throat> he'll sit there and say, no, it wasn't my fault. Well, this is the reason why I'm not at fault with this. That's Antonio Brown. That will be Antonio Brown. So instead of, taking, instead of taking full responsibility for this, my community is going to sit up there and say, well, it must be the other person's fault. 
Or we're going to sit there and say, well, this is a situation where because of football that he needs help, that we need to somehow reach out to Antonio Brown and get him some help. I say, fuck Antonio Brown. Fuck Antonio Brown. If that stupid motherfucker wants to go ahead and live his life like that, by God, you're a grown ass man. You're 34 years old. You're a father. You're a grown man. Live your life the way you want to live your life. I've got too much shit going on in my life to give a fuck about what Antonio Brown is doing. Antonio Brown has made millions upon millions of dollars. Even through his stupidity, even through his act of childishness, there's still people who can really help Antonio Brown, who want to help Antonio Brown, who know Antonio Brown. Antonio Brown has a multitude of opportunities for him to get some help. There are many people who, are, who will be more than willing to help Antonio Brown. If Antonio Brown doesn't want to get the help, that's on him. I don't give a fuck what happens to him. If his negligence to get some help causes him to be on the street somewhere, hanging out with Delonte West, yelling at the sky, being broke and being lost, that's his fucking problem, not mine. I got other shit in my life that I got to deal with. Antonio Brown ain't giving a fuck about what's happening to Wendell Wallace's life. Why should I give a fuck about what's happening to Antonio Brown in his life? Antonio Browns has got millions upon millions of dollars. You've got avenues and opportunity to help yourself if you want to. Either get the help or don't. I don't give a fuck. Don't give a fuck. If I sound a little bit angry, I'm sorry, but I get sick and tired of some folks in my community from my side of the tracks sitting up there talking about we need to be we need to be cognizant of what happened to Antonio Brown and we need to realize that this brother needs help and all this. Fuck him. Antonio Brown ain't gonna help my ass. Shit, did you motherfuckers out there talking about we need to help Antonio Brown? Antonio Brown ain't gonna help y'all. All you people worried about Antonio Brown. Antonio Brown don't give a shit about y'all. Antonio Brown only gives a shit about one person, one person only and mainly. He gives a shit about Antonio Brown. He don't give a fuck about y'all. So why the hell are you gonna give a fuck about him? He's a grown ass man. Grown ass fucking man. Get some help or suffer the consequences. I don't give a fuck. You know, who cares? We need to be concerned about We always do that with black folks. Same thing with Floyd Mayweather Jr. We need to be concerned about, fuck that motherfucker, man. That motherfucker beat up the mother of his children in front of, the, in front of his kids and then threatened, threatened them to not tell anybody. Fuck him. That motherfucker should have stayed in jail. That motherfucker should be under the jail. Fuck Floyd Mayweather. Fucking ass clown. His, his treatment of black women. Fuck that motherfucker. You think I give a damn about that piece of shit? Same thing with fucking Antonio Brown. Bye. See ya. Grow up. Try to grow up a little bit. And... He's hurt the team in terms of uh, moving forward with the Buccaneers. I mean, if he could just be on his P's and Q's, I mean, he was only about, <laughs> he was close to getting a million-dollar bonus because he was so close to getting uh, a bonus for a number of yards in a season, the number of catches. He was he was like a, two or three catches away. He had a, he had a game and a half to, uh, to get that. And he's going to throw that all the way just because he felt someone disrespected him. That ain't fucking, that has nothing to do with mental illness. That has everything to do with stupidity. I mean, you can be stupid. You can be, a, you can be an ignorant fool. I mean, there's, there's, there's no, I mean, just because someone's ignorant doesn't mean that there's something mentally wrong with them. It just means that they're ignorant. I mean, you take a look at these stupid motherfuckers walking around wearing MAGA hats and up there talking about the, 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 the clowns who will, who will bow down and kiss the feet of the fucking asshole who said that he could shoot somebody on Fifth Avenue and get away with it. Those people are ignorant. Those people are stupid. Those people are ignorant, stupid fools. 
It had nothing to do with uh, it had nothing to do with them being meant something being mentally off in terms of they need help psychologically or something like that. No, they're just stupid. They're just people who are stupid. People who felt that uh, the, the um, election was stolen. Or, th- those are stupid people. Plain and simple. Dumb people. Ignorant people. We're the dumbest country on this planet. <laughs> had nothing to do with mental illness. Some people are just stupid. It doesn't matter what gender, race, creed, color. You're just If you're stupid, you're stupid. Antonio Brown's stupid. Antonio Brown's the fool. Get some help. Grow up. Educate yourself. Become better. Being stupid, being ignorant isn't a terminal disease. I mean, if you're 5'4 and you want to grow up to be 6'8, not happening. If you're 7 feet and want to grow up and you want to uh, slim down to be 5'7, uh, ain't happening. <laughs> it's just not, you know, it's just, it's just not happening. If you're, uh, if you're a guy with no athletic ability, you can't be the next LeBron James. Sorry, ain't happening. <laughs> you know? I mean, it's just, that's just the way it goes. Those things cannot be helped. You know, if you want to grow, you can't grow. If you're genetically set to be 5'7", you can't grow to be 6'8". Nothing you can eat, nothing you can do, no exercises, no stretching, nothing. Sorry, not happening. Or if you're 6'4", and you want to shrink to be 5'11", nothing you can do. Can't break any bones, can't have any surgeries, nothing. Just the way it is. Luckily for someone who's stupid, there's something that you can do. Being stupid is not a terminal illness. It's not something that you're born with and you're stuck with. You you can actually go ahead and have and do some things to educate yourself. So once being stupid, you can't be educated. You can't go from stupid to smart. You can't go from dumb to intelligent. You can, through education and reading and learning and such, and listening and doing these type of things, you can go from ignorant to intelligent. And I think Antonio Brown has the ability to go from ignorant, to which he is now, to intelligent. I think Antonio Brown, being a fool, which he is now, can have the opportunity and have the talent and have the ability and have the potential to be someone who can uh, really do some great work and really do some good things and really help out others and really be a positive for my community and for uh, communities worldwide. I really think he has that. But until that happens, he's still an idiot. Until that happens, he's still a fool. Until that happens, he's still an ignorant jackass. So if he wants to go one route, fine. If he wants to go another route, fine. If that one route leads to him being in a cage or a grave, I don't give a fuck. If that other route means him being a man of uh, great wealth and, and great knowledge and helping out others and great renown, fine. Awesome, good for him. But Antonio Brown's a fool. Let's not uh, get it twisted. <sighs> and uh, Tampa Bay, he's uh, he's uh, he's screwed them over because they need him. As much as, uh, as, as, as stupid as he's been, they need him. Even with the uh, three-game suspension because of uh, violating the NFL's COVID-19 protocol because he was accused of obtaining a fake vaccine card because he didn't want to take the shot so because he didn't want to get sick right before training camp. I mean, even with that, hey, man, you know, the Bucks needed him. And I think that, you know, it was, it was a situation like when you, when you gamble, sooner or later you're going to lose. 
And when the Bucs took Antonio Brown, they were gambling. And they won big time because he helped them win the Super Bowl. So they got greedy. They got greedy. And they thought that Tom Brady could be the guy that could get Antonio Brown through another season scot-free, and then they could be done with him. But it didn't happen. It didn't happen. They crapped out, and they lost. So Antonio Brown, the clown, that's what he is. If he wants to change his way, it's, if not, Fuck them. I've got other things to do. I've got other things to worry about. I've got my life to worry about. Antonio Brown, you a grown-ass man. Handle your business. Wendell's World in Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Happy 2022, everybody. Hope that you celebrated New Year's Eve in a happy and joyous way, whether that was going to bed at 9 p.m. and waking up on New Year's Day, or whether that was partying through the midnight hour like Wilson Pickett and having yourself a good time. Just make sure that we can go ahead and make 2022 the best year possible. Let's just say... For the history books, in 20 years, 25 years, when your children or your great-grandchildren or whatever are in 10th grade history class and they're learning about the history of this country, that this will be the year of the turnaround. This will be the year where people really woke up and started to really judge people based on who they are as human beings, the type of people that they are as human beings, their goodness, their great qualities, not based on their race, not based on their gender, not falling for the ignorant, racist stereotypes of someone of a different gender or a different race or a different religion or a different uh, financial background or a different part of the country or a different part of the world or a different religion or a different person who they loved. Let's see what we can do to start really saying if this is a good person and they're down with making this world a better place by love, unity, understanding, respect, education, then that's who I'm down with. Let's see if we can start doing that and put away some of the nonsense that we see on an everyday basis from all communities, not just certain communities, not just from certain races and certain genders and certain parts of the country and certain parts of the world and certain religions. It's all over. It's all over. So let's see what we can do. The goodness of folks. Let's see what we can do to stomp out the evilness through education, through understanding, and uh, through a lot of prayer. Let's see if we can do that for the year 2022. Wendell's World in Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. The national championship game in college football is going to be happening. It is now set. It is Alabama versus Georgia. Alabama 
beat up on Cincinnati 27 to 6. Georgia beat up on Michigan 34 to 10, 11, something like that. So um, we have the two best teams in the country going at it for the championship. What's up, man? How do you feel about that? I know because there's people out there who are sitting there going, oh, wow, yeah. <clears throat> two teams from the SEC going for the championship again. Oh, yeah, a team from the SEC is in the championship game. Oh, yeah, a team from the SEC is going to win a championship. Oh, yeah, oh, whoop, whoop-de-damn-doo. I can't wait to see that. Oh, boy, that's something new. That's that's something fresh. Well, I mean, welcome to uh, college football. And, and really, when when you think about it, welcome to a lot of sports. For me, it's a situation where, look, I want to see the best teams play. I'm not interested in Cinderella stories. I'm not interested in what would make good storylines. I'm not interested in any of that. Give me the two best teams playing against each other so I can see who the best team is for that year, for that season, whatever. And if it so happens to be two teams from the SEC, so be it. If it's two teams from the southern part of this country, so be it. If it's two teams that have been there time and time again, so be it. If there's one team who seems to be there every year, so be it. I I just want to just I just want to have the best team win. That's all. And with football, when we're speaking about any given Saturday or Sunday, when it's not as four out of seven or three out of five or something like that, sometimes the best teams don't win because of that. So I'm happy that Alabama and Georgia made it through because I believe that Alabama and Georgia are the two best teams in the country. I know. For one of my prognostications, I thought that uh, Michigan would beat Georgia and then then, uh, Michigan would have a great chance of winning the national championship. Well, that's the reason why I don't gamble. That's the reason why I don't put down any of my money on my prognostications because after watching Georgia's defense beat up on Michigan, that prognostication by me was stupid. So (laughs) I'm just going to sit back, relax, and uh, watch watch this game. I don't know because every time something like this happens, two schools from one conference, mainly the SEC, get together and they play in the championship or with with the uh, playoffs this season, the semifinals, that you had two teams again from the SEC playing against each other. Everybody starts yelling, not everybody. A lot of people start yelling and screaming about the 12-team playoffs or 18 playoffs. Even with, the, you know, even with, let's just say, for instance, it was 12 teams. Look, more games means more opportunities for a team to lose, of course. But with a 12-team playoff, which team that didn't make the semifinals, which team did you see you would have thought, man, now that team had a real great chance. If you weren't a believer in Cincinnati, for instance, because you think that a school from the Power 5 Conference, even though they went undefeated and only lost uh, one game through two years, and you just don't think that a Power 5, a non-Power 5 school can compete with the elite of the Power 5 football program, so Cincinnati shouldn't have been there. Even if you feel that way, which team would you have subtracted or which team would you have put in instead of Cincinnati? That would have given Alabama a better game, or shall I say, given Alabama a real run for their money in terms of winning uh, that game. Were you going to put in Oklahoma State? Were you going to put in Notre Dame? Were you going to put in Ohio State? Were you going to put in Baylor? Were you going to put in Mississippi? Uh, Mississippi? Were you going to put in Utah? Were you going to put in which which team do you feel would have given? Alabama, a real, real tough test. Michigan deserved it. Big Ten, they they fit the qualifications. But I I don't see 
any team from the outside looking in where I could have said, man, you know what? If, like, for instance, if Ohio State would have played Alabama, would they have given Alabama a better run or maybe a better run than Cincinnati did? Quite possibly. Would they have won the game? Probably not. Not with that defense. I mean, for those who want to bash on Cincinnati, I'm sorry, how much, how many points did that Ohio State defense give up to uh, Utah? So, uh, I, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm just so happy the 12 teams, I'm sorry, the two best teams are playing. And for college football moving forward, the question is, how do you expand the sport so you don't leave out folks from the Northeast, you don't leave out folks from the Pacific Northwest, you don't leave out folks from the West Coast, you don't leave out folks from Middle America, you don't leave out leave, uh, leave out folks from the from the New England Territory up there. What what can we do to expand the sport of college football? Two things. Number one, I think that if you had a 12-team playoff, I do think that it would garner more interest because you would have more schools from different regions of the country playing for a championship. And who knows? I mean, every once in a while, maybe a number one seed will get beat. Maybe a Georgia or an Alabama or the big boogeyman from the SEC school will lose to a team from the Pac-12 or lose from a lose a, a playoff game from a team on the ACC. And that makes for huge headlines and that makes for exciting plays and for those who like Cinderella's. I mean, in March Madness, we love Cinderella, right? We love the little engines that could and every blue moon when a George Mason or a Davidson or a, a VCU, uh, one of those non-Power 5 school makes a run toward the Final Four or the Elite Eight or the Sweet 16. We always talk about how great it is for the sport and how much interest it uh, garners for that run. So why not? We're not going to have 68 teams, of course, playing for a championship in college football. But let's just say, for instance, uh, Cincinnati makes a run or they or for the first round, Alabama gets upset or Georgia gets upset. I think for one year, that would be good for the sport and it'd be good for the sport to grow because any given Saturday in these college football playoffs, you would never know what would happen in terms of a team losing a team many people thought would be odds on favorites to make it to the championship game well guess what they lost in the first round of the playoff they had one bad saturday one team that had no chance played the game of their lives that's great stuff man that's hollywood stuff man that's interesting stuff man that'll get uh a college football 12 team playoff really some great momentum moving forward so i think that would help and i also think the fact that look these teams just got to do better recruiting i think nil I think the transfer transfer portal will help in that regard because I think that there's players who before when they were restricted on where they could go and the situation of what they could do and the opportunities they have. I think if someone is being recruited by Ohio State or Clemson or Alabama or Georgia or Tennessee or one of these power schools and they're sitting behind two or three five-star recruits and their school or their football program is recruiting three or four other five-star recruits at their same position. Maybe it's a, maybe a scenario happens where if this kid who goes to Alabama and he's from Nebraska, maybe he wants to go back home and Nebraska offers him a excellent opportunity to start and he can get his run going that way. And I think something like that, the, the hoarding, I think of players going to, 
certain amount of schools, going to uh, an Alabama, going to a Georgia, going to a Clemson, going to an Ohio State before Lincoln Riley left, going to a going to an Oklahoma. I think with NIL, and I think now with the transfer giving more flexibility for players to really do what they need to do, I think that uh, I think that helps the sport. I think it's great that Lincoln Riley is moving out to the uh, Pac-12 and is going to be the head coach at USC. I think that's awesome for the sport. I really do. I think Mario Cristobal leaving Oregon to go and try to revitalize the team of the 80s, which was the uh, Miami Hurricanes, I think it's great. It's, it's not a lost cause in terms of, you know, Alabama and Georgia and schools from the SEC are just going to maintain being juggernauts for years and decades to come. I mean, if you take a look at the team of the 80s, it was the Miami Hurricanes. There were long stretches um, for Alabama where they were basically irrelevant when you're speaking about powers in college football i mean this was a school in alabama before they got nick saban they were they were wallowing in the mire of mediocrity and you had schools like miami and you had schools like oklahoma and such playing for championships you had schools like usc playing for uh, championships and such there was a time where usc was the was the uh, alabama of back then with pete carroll when he had that program running and humming so it's, it's not a matter of, I mean, there's no law saying that Alabama has to get all of the five-star recruits, that Georgia has to get all the five-star recruits. Georgia wasn't doing that type of stuff until Kirby Smart got the gig. And from my recollection, Georgia hasn't even won a national championship yet. We'll, we'll see what happens in a week or so, but as of right now, Georgia hasn't won a championship since that Coon Herschel Walker was out there running the football for the Bulldogs. So it's not a foregone conclusion that this is a situation. I just think because of their recent success and because of the conference that they're in, we just go to that in terms of, see, I told you. So it's a, it's a situation in college football where it's not dire for them to grow the sport. I just think that uh, the 12-team playoff has to come to fruition in the next couple of years. And I think that... Um, just, you know, I, I think it's a positive sign that the number one recruiting class for this season is Texas A&M. Now, yeah, Texas A&M is in the SEC. Yes, of course. But damn, it's better than I'd rather have Texas A&M than having the same old Alabama, Ohio State, Clemson uh, uh, monopoly in terms of great players going to uh, certain schools. Walter Nolan and I mean, the. the the recruiting class for Texas A&M is considered to be historic, even more historic than the recruiting class for Alabama the past year, which was considered historic. I think Marcus Freeman going to Notre Dame is going to open up avenues for Notre Dame to go to the public schools in Chicago and Detroit and get players, get stars, get five-star recruits, get great players who can help that program to where before they were going to Ohio State or they were going somewhere else. I think the California talent is not going to be matriculating over to the SEC schools because of what Lincoln Riley brings as far as just his innovative offense, his charisma, and his ability to win football games and produce Heisman Trophy winning quarterbacks and number one uh, picks in the NFL draft. So there's some signs that the, the college football is moving in the right direction. We just need to start seeing some of the fruits of that labor start to uh start to uh start to materialize and i think that'll be great but uh 
you know, I'm 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 interested to see I'm interested to see Georgia in Alabama. I think Georgia's gonna win. After my Michigan prediction, y'all should just roll your eyes and say, Man, get the fuck out of here. I I understand. But I think it's gonna be hopefully it's gonna be a good game. But uh, yeah, college football, it looks dire now for for some folks, but I think there's opportunities in the near future for the expansion and the growth and the popularity of college football to happen. Last segment of the program, last segment of the podcast. Thank you very much for listening to Wendell's World in Sports. A lot of things that I got off my chest. Speaking about what's happening in the NFL. Speaking about what's happening with Antonio Brown. Oh, we have to feel sorry. We have to find out what's wrong with Antonio. We have to look at him as a person and not a football player. Don't you laugh. Don't make fun of Antonio. Something's very wrong, and we need to be concerned as a community, as a society, about Antonio Brown. Get the fuck out of here. Spoke about that and uh, <clears throat> gave my opinions. Talked about college football. Talked about the positives of Aaron Rodgers returning to the Green Bay Packers. I don't know what all this was. All this is going to lead to in terms of the end of the season, whether the Packers win the Super Bowl or not. What's going to be happening with Aaron Rodgers? But uh, if he wants to win championships, I don't know where else he's going to go to find the best chance to win other than the place that he's at right now. So all of that stuff I spoke about. You can also, as I mentioned before, I don't know if I mentioned before, but if I did mention it to you, let me mention it to you right now. I am on YouTube. Wendell's World is Sports video video, uh, uh, podcast that I do speaking about what's going on in the world of sports. Different takes, different thoughts, different opinions on what's happening spoke a little bit more about the cincinnati Bengals on that one still broke down antonio brown but in a different light spoke about the college football semifinals and the national championship between alabama and georgia so i did all that threw in some few highlights and you got to take a look at this wonderful face right here this good looking son of a gun right here if you're Looking for Wendell's World in Sports, you click on Wendell's World in Sports and you see me talk and you say for years and you say to yourself, hey, wait a minute, wait a minute. That's not Wendell Wallace. That's the 1984 version of Denzel Washington. What in the world's going on? Wait a minute. No, that's not 1984 Denzel Washington. That's 1998 Will Smith up there talking about. That's not Wendell Wallace. There ain't nobody who has those 
movie star good looks? What the hell's going on here? Oh, that is Wendell Wallace. Okay, because Will and Denzel didn't wear, wear glasses. Okay, my bad. No, but seriously, I'm going ahead. I'm going ahead and doing my thing in terms of uh, speaking about what's happening in the world of sports. Throw in a few highlights to give you my thoughts and opinion on a different platform. So you can check it out. You can subscribe to that, like, and do all those good things on my YouTube channel, Wendell's World in Sports. So just trying to expand, trying to grow, trying to uh, see what I can do to uh, get the thing uh, going for the year 2022. Wendell's World in Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Going to be ending with a little bit of college football in terms of, hey, wait a minute. Do college football players really enjoy playing the sport? Are they just entitled, spoiled brats who, if they're not playing for the national championship, they don't appreciate going to a lesser bowl where they can get the swag, where they can compete? where they can do all the things that back in the day Kurt Herbstreit and Desmond Howard got to do, where they respected, where they looked forward to it, where it was a joy, it was an honor, it was a pleasure to play in meaningless bowl games. What that word mean, meaningless? If you're playing football and you're playing with your brothers and you're playing with the coaches and you're bringing in and you're, and you're playing for your school and you're doing all those things, who cares if it doesn't equate to you moving on and competing for a championship what does it mean why does that matter and why are these guys who are first round draft picks being so selfish in terms of wanting to uh, wanting to get ready for the NFL and leave their brothers and leave their fathers behind fathers being their coaches and the brothers being their players why are they willing to leave them behind so they can be so selfish and look after only themselves and worry about their getting paid and doing all those type of things. Where, where's the loves? Do you see for Kirk and Howard, it kind of questions, do they love to play the game? Do they really love the fact that, you know what, when a coach says this guy really loves the game of football, that all of a sudden now he says that in a, in a, in a, in a meaning that there's plenty of players out there who don't love to play the game, but when I was playing the game, Kurt Street, and when I was playing the game, Desmond Howard, everybody loved to play. Everybody was, was doing it for the right reason. Everybody was a competitor. Everybody loved the game of football, loved the game of college football, loved what it represented, loved the coaches, loved the players, loved the institution. They loved the bowl games. They loved the swag. They loved the ability to compete. What's going on with today's, what's going on with today's athletes? What's happening? Is it the money? Is it the video games? Is it social media? Is it family members? What's going on to where we didn't have that? You see, if we were playing in today's game, we wouldn't let any of those things affect us. We would go ahead and we would still bleed beige and blue and we would still bleed the whatever colors Ohio State is. And we would go ahead and we would give our life. We would give our physical being. We would give our physical attributes. We would take minutes, hours, months, days, years off our life to be able to compete in one more Gator Bowl, in one more Al Alamo Bowl, in one more San Diego Holiday whatever bowl. I mean, no matter what the bowl is, I don't care. Shreveport, Louisiana, Memphis, Tennessee, I don't give a damn where you put it. Put it on Pluto. Put it on Mars. Put it on anywhere. Back in my day, because everybody loved the game of football and everybody was doing it for the right reasons, we would just take our swag and we would go ahead and have a good time and it would be a meaningful life-changing experience of going to a bowl game and now these selfish entitled kids who don't love the game of football 
They're, they don't know what they're missing. These damn kids today, get the hell off my lawn. For those who missed the commentary by Mr. Herbstreet and Mr. Howard, I present you this. Money, the amount of money, like what's the difference as a player in saying these games are meaningless when, Des, we played in quote unquote meaningless games. I mean, I know you guys were right. here a lot, but I just don't understand if you don't make it to the playoff, how is it meaningless to yeah. play football and compete? Isn't that what we do as right. football players? We, we compete. So yeah. I, I don't know if cha- I don't know if changing and expanding it yeah. is going to ch- change anything. I really don't. I think this era of player just doesn't love football. That's what I was about to say. We're dealing with a total men- different mentality when we're dealing with these um, student athletes nowadays, especially the football players. I mean, their whole mentality right now is about the championship, the playoff. We got to get into the the CFB or the CFP, and because of that, they don't value the bowl games. Now, when we were coming up. Herb Street myself, like to go to a bowl game was a huge reward for a fantastic season. That's what it meant. It's like, okay, your team played this well, so you're going to be rewarded by going to this bowl game. You're going to get a ring. You're going to get swag. Now, kids don't really care about that. They're, they're, they, they, they have a sense of entitlement. And it's like if we're not going to the one that matters, then, you know, it just doesn't have as much value to them as it did us growing up. Yep, and there you go. Look, I, I understand, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to pile on them. I'm not going to take any personal shots. What they said, what they said, if they mean it, they mean it. It's fine. I mean, you know, whatever. I mean, you know, it's, I, mean, it, it, I, I, I just feel that. And I think when we reach a certain age, whatever, whenever that age is, we always look at the younger generation we always look at the generation before us or a couple of generations before us and we always say we always do the back of my day thing so i I can't sit here and criticize her street and howard personally and and when, when i do the same thing when it comes to today's music rap music today sucks absolutely positively sucks 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 today's music sucks absolutely sucks i mean positively sucks i don't know what i don't know what the younger generation hears in the music that's being played today. Rap music, R&B music, soul music. I don't know what they're listening to, but it's, it's crap and it sucks. So maybe maybe kids today don't love real music. I don't know. But if you can't appreciate Aretha Franklin, if you can't appreciate Marvin Gaye, if you can't appreciate Levi Stubbs and the Four Tops, if you can't appreciate Otis Redding, if you can't appreciate Rakim, if you can't appreciate Heavy D, if you can't appreciate Biggie, if you can't appreciate... Pete Rock and CL Smooth that you can't appreciate DOS effects, then I don't know, man. I guess you guys just don't love music. I don't know. So, so hey, I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm so it would behoove me to be careful when I tread on the comments made by Herb Street and Howard when it comes to doing the old back in my day, it was so much better, this, that, and the other. But, you know, I have to say that it was pretty silly. I think it was something where Herb Street was at the moment thinking out loud. And I think that if this was a pre-show and he said this, that by the end of the pre-show and by the end of the discussion, he would probably say, yeah, yeah, you're right. I kind of made a general distinction on something that I shouldn't have said. And upon further thought and upon further, you know, evaluation of what I said, I probably was a little bit off on that one. So, hey, man, it happens when, you know, you got stuff, you know, when when you're shooting out stuff on live air and he was just throwing out the question and he 
follow that question with a statement that was that was wrong that was you know whatever it happens none of us are right all the time so i'm not going to start piling on kurt her street and calling him names and calling him ignorant and selfish and start making personal shots him and desmond howard i'm not not going to do that don't agree with everything he says don't agree with everything they say but hey man that's that's part of life you know if everybody agreed with everybody this world would be really really boring and really really stagnant and really really lame so uh but it's just you know a matter of hey it's just when when herb street and howard were, were doing their thing man it was a situation where look herb street speaking about his love for the herb street knew had to know early on in his college career that he wasn't going to be a pro that the highest level that he was going to go to was college football so for him college football meant everything because for him after college football his football playing days for the most part they were over i mean this isn't basketball where they have leagues all over the world so it wasn't like a situation where after ohio state herb street could go over to israel and play football or he could go to well he could go to canada for the cfl but you know he could go to uh, australia or he could go to africa or he could go anywhere on the globe to continue his football career no back in the day when herb street was playing that wasn't possible so for him College was the pinnacle. College was his everything. So for him, yeah, he gave everything that he had for college because he knew he wasn't going to the NFL. Desmond Howard, on the other hand, he was a number four pick for the Washington football team and fizzled out as a wide receiver, but found his calling as a kickoff returner, won an MVP with the uh, Green Bay Packers when they beat New England to win a Super Bowl back in the day. But uh, this was a situation for him. They didn't know any better. I mean, this was back in the day where... That stuff was unheard of. That stuff was not really thought about. Kind of like back in the day for for basketball where, you know, Patrick Ewing stayed four years at Georgetown. Michael Jordan played three years at North Carolina. Ralph Sampson played four years at Virginia. Christian Leitner played four years at uh, Duke. Tim Duncan played four years at Wake Forest. It wasn't known back then that, you know what, it would probably be a better idea if I'm ready to go to the NBA and be drafted after my freshman year. That would probably be a better idea if I go then and I can go ahead and get my college education in the offseason or as much money as I'm going to be making and the opportunities that provide for me of being an NBA basketball player, unless I'm going to be a lawyer or a doctor or an engineer or something like that, really don't need a college degree with the path that I'm going to be taking because of who I am and because of the profession that I chose in terms of being an NBA basketball player. So it mitigates the importance of a college degree. See, back in those days, those guys didn't realize that. Back in those days, college basketball, they didn't realize that. It's only when guys started leaving after their freshman year, their sophomore year, and until the rule was implemented, some didn't even go to college at all, that this was even a possibility. So, same thing with Desmond Howard and those guys playing for Michigan. I'm quite sure if it was 2021, Desmond Howard in his position, he could say it now, the fact that, oh, no, no, I would I would stay and I would play and, you know, Bo Schembechler needs me or Lloyd Carr needs me, so I'm going to do this, that, and the other. I'm quite sure a 21-year-old Desmond Howard in the year 2021 his thought prospect, his thought process would be entirely different. I'm going to take this Heisman Trophy and I'm going to go to the pros, baby. And that's what it is. And that's what it's going to be all about. So a 21-year-old Desmond Howard, I'm quite sure, would have a much different mentality than the Desmond Howard that we see up doing college game day today. So <clears throat> I, I, I feel that, you know, when, when you say, well, he didn't love the sport. Well, how can you not love the sport? but yet and still be trying to better yourself to get ready for a career in the NFL. 
How was that the case? Now you might say, well, I have this gift, but I really don't like playing, but there's nowhere, there's no other profession that's going to pay me a couple of million dollars uh, at the age of 21 or 22 with or without a college degree. So even though I might not like the sport, I like the perks that come with it, the money, the fame, the women, the access, the substance, the goodies and all those type of things. That might be true. But for Herb Street, and he clarified it a little bit later on, is a Twitter account talking about I shouldn't have generalized. Well, you made the mistake when you generalized the fact that there's many people or college football players today don't love college football. You also generalize without really saying it by saying, in turn, if you're saying that players today don't love the game of football and you guys really love playing in these lesser bowl games and these meaningless bowl games, that means you made the generalization that everybody who played back in your day loved playing in those games and had the same mentality that you did. And I'm quite sure, Kirk and Desmond, that didn't happen. So I'm quite sure there were plenty of players back in your day who didn't want to play college football. I'm quite sure there were plenty plenty of football players who could not wait to get away from Bo Schembechler and Woody Hayes and not deal with that bullshit or, or, or dealing with college football and everything that came with it back in the day. I'm quite sure that there were players that you played with and played against back in your day that could not wait that the last thing they wanted to do was play in a fucking meaningless bowl game, but they felt some type of obligation to do it, so they went ahead and do it, did it. And I'm quite sure that as soon as that season was over and their careers were over, the last thing they wanted to do was hang out with you ass clowns. So, you know, all of those, I don't know. It's been spoke to death. I spoke about it on my um, video YouTube podcast. So if you want to check it out, I'm, I'm, I'm done with it. We're moving on. Those guys are speaking. Those guys were speaking out loud. Those guys were thinking out loud with that. So, you know, that's enough. That's enough. All right. I want to thank everybody for listening to the podcast. Wendell Wallace, Wendell's World of Sports. Happy 2022. Everybody be safe. Everybody do well. Everybody do what they need to do to make this world a better place to be. Unity, harmony, understanding, listening, learning, educating yourself, passing it on to the other generations so they can create a utopian society, which I wish I could live in for the majority of my life, which unfortunately I haven't, but we've made progress so far. Let's continue to make the progress, make 2022 the best starting now. Huh? Sounds good. Music.